Good morning. Like Ali said, I'm Janice, and I'm super excited to be with you this morning. I'm excited that you all sprung forward. Mostly, mostly I'm excited that that means it's almost spring. <laughs> so thanks for joining us on this early Sunday. I want to start off with a little bit of interaction this morning. I'm not going to throw this ball at you. Don't worry. <laughs> this is not dodgeball, although that would be really fun. Who remembers? I want to do a show of hands. Who remembers going out when you were young and in the yard with your friends, or maybe you went to a park and you played an organized game? Maybe you played baseball or soccer or basketball, or maybe you played kickball with your friends. There was no referee in my game. How many of us remember that part, too? All right, all right. If your game was anything like my game, um, we played, we were doing great, we were all calling our own fouls, the game was going along splendidly, we're laughing and having fun, and all of a sudden, an incident happens where two kids see the same situation very differently. And all of a sudden, there's arguing and people can't agree. We all saw the same events unfold, but nobody knows what the right thing to do is. We might resolve that conflict in a few minutes later, not as long as the first one. Another argument might arise. A just, somebody might get really mad and say, I'm going home. And they might even take their ball with them. <laughs> this is a personal story for my kids. They used to go to a really small school with 11 kids only. And they would play kickball every day. And they had quite a big age range from the oldest to the youngest. And there was no recess monitor. Inevitably, every day, someone would stomp away, someone would cry, okay, maybe almost every day, but someone would threaten to never play again with those same 11 kids. This is a super mild example, a very innocent and sweet example of kind of what plays out for us in the book of Judges over and over. But before we dig in any further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray as we dig into your word this morning, Lord, that you would have your way, that my words would be your words, that you would get me out of the way, and that you would speak to each person in the room, Lord. Meet them in the way that only you can. Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way and to shine your light into our hearts in new and fresh ways today. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, we're diving into the book of Judges this week in our reading plan. Judges is for sure a PG book of the Bible. And if we tried to make this for TV, it would be for mature audiences only. It's dark. It has some devastating events. It truthfully shows us some of the worst of our humanity. And it's no wonder Andy gave it to me this week. <laughs> uh, if this is a great time for you, though, to dive back into the reading plan, to commit if you haven't, or to recommit if you've fallen out of the habit, to get into the reading plan with a fresh start in a new book. It's certainly an interesting time to get back into the reading plan. And I'd want to encourage you, if we had small children and we were going to tuck them in at night, but let's say we couldn't tuck them in seven days a week for the whole rest of the year, no kiddo is going to say to their adult, please don't tuck me in. If you can't do it every night, then don't even bother. And I think that's the same with the reading plan. Whatever days you're able to get in to that reading plan and read, I really believe the Lord will meet you there. So I just want to encourage you in that. Like I said, we're in the book of Judges. It ends with a really descriptive verse that almost exclusively sums up the problem that plays out in the book of Judges, all 21 chapters. We're, the verse that we're talking about today, our CSB version actually says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. 
In other words, there was no leader. Everyone did. Some versions say whatever they saw fit. Or you might hear me say a lot, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Another way we could say that is there was no referee. We were all calling our own game, and we could not figure out how to get along. Now, I wonder as I read this verse where I find myself, because it's super easy for me to look around at everything else that's happening and think, oh, that is what is wrong in our world today. Everyone is doing whatever they think is right in their own eyes. And I can point my finger at all the ways I see other people doing what they think is right in their own eyes. But there is nothing new under the sun, and we actually aren't all that different from the Israelites, and everyone doing what they think is right in their own eyes actually does mean everything, and that includes me. Because, you know, our culture tells us, live your truth, follow your heart, because YOLO, you know, you only live once. I have to ask myself, where am I? Where are you? Where are our hearts in this? So let's dig in and try to see what the Lord has for us. Our God is not a God of confusion. The Israelites, they know what God wants. If you're in the reading plan, you know God's been pretty clear about the rules over the last couple of weeks. He wants to set his people apart. He wants called them to live differently. He wants to show them how to treat people differently. And as Andy shared, even last week at the beginning of Joshua, God reminds the people to follow his commands and not go to the left or to the right. In fact, before Joshua dies, he tells the people, therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods of your, that your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. And the people, they promise, they choose God. They say, we will worship the Lord our God and obey him. They choose him over the foreign gods, over the things around them. So Jacob tells them, get rid of other gods and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. They even put a stone there so that they can remember not to deny God. Now God has told the Israelites as they go into the promised land and as they take possession of the land he's promised them, there's people living there. He's commanded them to tear down the altars of the false gods that those people are worshiping. But they do not obey. They leave some of the altars. And so now, those altars, they're a temptation. They're a thorn in Israel's side, and they're going to be a trap. Because the people now face temptation every day. Every day, they have to decide if they want to look to God or to the things of their culture and what's around them. And I think that's true for us, too. Every day, God wants us to choose him. Every day, he wants us to obey and to walk with him in the big things and the small things. He wants us to tear down the altars of the little g-gods that we might have in our life. And we simply live in a time with a lot of little g-gods, from other religions to things like pleasure, achievement, wealth, control, fame. Even our health can be a little g-god. He does, God does not call us to be a people who do what's right in our own eyes. In fact, in Deuteronomy, he specifically calls it out and warns against it. He says, seek the Lord and follow his ordinances and statutes. Not statues, the rules, statutes. It says, you are not to do as we are doing here today 
because everyone is doing what they think is right in their own eyes, in their own sight. God, he calls us to love him. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And out of that love, we follow him. We trust him. We walk in obedience. It seems like in this case, the Israelites, they lose their faith in God and they forget what he has done with him. And the consequences are severe. They do evil in the sight of the Lord. They stray far away from God and they end up in oppression by their enemies. Now, as you're reading Judges, it's easy to see, to look at the people and really to be appalled by the people because I'm telling you, it is for mature audiences. They have done evil in the sight of the Lord. And you might think, well, then all is lost. But God, if we are busy looking at the people, we miss the amazing things that God is doing. And I believe that's the point. This is God's story. We need to put our eyes on God as we read this story, and we need to put our eyes on God every day as we live our lives. I need to put my eyes on God because I want to, as Andy taught us a couple weeks ago, shema, or listen and obey. I'll say that a couple more times as we go this morning. Now, don't get me wrong. There's things to learn as we look at the people, but mostly about how much they need God in order to be faithful and obedient. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. We all need a king. We need the grace of our God. The other thing that we notice about the people as we look through Judges is that God chooses to use ordinary people to accomplish his purposes when they're obedient. And I think that's true of us too. Now, some of the people in Judges he calls to heroic feats, but some he just calls to everyday obedience. And I think that's true for you and me too. Sometimes he calls us to offer kindness to a stranger or simply to speak to someone. Maybe he might ask you to pray for somebody. And now I'm not going to deny that that doesn't take a certain amount of courage, but I believe if God asks you to do it, he will supply that courage when you say yes. Over and over in the book of Judges, God is remembering his covenant. He is making a way for redemption of his people. He is a God who listens when his people cry out and when they pray. God is a God of love. And the people, they need that. We need that. This is the good news, actually. While we were still sinners, while we were still in our own brokenness, God made a way for us through Jesus. This is a God we can trust and we can follow. The judges that we're talking about, anybody who talks about this has to tell you, they're not judges in a black robe with a gavel. That's not, I know that's our kind of context for judges. But we are talking about a people, a person who will raise up and help the people fight their, their enemies. They're very powerful and strong enemies. So we're talking tribal leader and religious leader, military leader, all kind of wrapped up into one. And what is interesting is the story of judges is kind of reminds us of our Exodus story, where the people were in bondage in, in Egypt. They cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up Moses, and Moses led them out. That will play out over and over in Judges. The people will find themselves in bondage to their enemies. The Lord will raise up a judge, a different judge each time. Each time that judge will fall short and not be able to fully deliver them. Because the judge that we really need is Jesus. He's the only one who can truly save us. God calls Deborah as one of the judges, and her name means B, which is pretty ordinary. Like I said, I feel like God uses the ordinary people in this story. 
just a little old bee, to lead her people against the Canaanite army. That is a huge and powerful army. In that story, God uses another lady named Jael, which means wild mountain goat. That's not some powerful name, right? And it might surprise you, she actually uses a tent peg to take down the commander of the Canaanite army because God uses obedient people to redeem his, to bring his people back to him. So after the people are restored and Deborah leads them and they defeat the Canaanites, they enjoy a time of peace and just prosper. And the people seem at that point to forget God again. They stray, they fall victim to that temptation of those false gods, and they find themselves again in bondage to their enemies. But God, he doesn't forget them. He calls another judge that some of us may have heard of, uh, Gideon. Gideon actually cries out to God to rescue his people. And God says, okay, Gideon, let's do this. And Gideon says, whoa, God, not me. I'm a runt. I'm from a really weak tribe. In other words, hey, God, I'm just ordinary. I actually love the parallel to that with Moses as well. God, I'm just ordinary. But Gideon obeys God, and God comes through. Gideon follows God's plan. Even when God says, hey, Gideon, I know you feel small, but let's go ahead and make your army smaller while you go up to fight your big, powerful enemies. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Let's actually make it smaller one more time. And instead of taking weapons with you into this battle, let's just have your really small army take clay jars to defeat your enemy, Gideon. Let's do that. I have to imagine that Gideon was kind of scared, pretty terrified, and had to, at that point, depend on the Lord. Gideon overhears this dream that someone has about bread that takes down a whole tent. Now, don't think pup tent. Think big event tent, and they throw the bread at it, and it takes the whole tent down. That story doesn't make sense to me, but Gideon hears it interpreted. Gideon is the bread, and the people group that God is going to deliver into his hands, that the Lord has promised to deliver into his hands, is the tent. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Gideon and I'm about to lead my people into a battle, I would really hope that the Lord would call me something a little bit more powerful than bread. (laughs) But God, it's his plan. They follow it. He does deliver their enemies into their hands. I think that Gideon really passes the test of relying on God in the hard times. Then things kind of settle down for him. He's prosperous because he's led the people. They even want him to be their ruler, and he tries. He says, you guys, no, I will not be your king. God is your king. But he builds an ephod, which is the breastplate that he would have worn into battle, and he worships that instead of God. He kind of seems to forget what God has done for him, and I wonder how many of us can relate to this. I actually think there's a big challenge in this for us. When times are easy, when we think everything is going great, how many of us turn away or forget to be obedient? We do what we think is right in our own eyes. I at least know that I'm guilty of that. I put it on autopilot. I put God on the shelf. Maybe it's in my parenting or in my relationships. I don't seek the Lord. When things seem good, I think I've got it handled. But I know that the Lord wants me to seek him and be obedient even on the days that I think are pretty easy. He wants me to be the best wife, mother, and friend that I can be. 
with him. Well, Gideon forgets about God, and as you can imagine, things kind of fall apart for the Israelites. And again, I can relate to that. I've never built an ephod, and I've never worshipped at the altar of Baal, but I have slept in, skipped a quiet time, and ended up with a lot less patience and grace than I needed. I have definitely given in to the fear of someone's reaction and not served someone because I was more afraid of their reaction than of my own obedience. And just recently, I have rushed into a situation and did what I thought was right in my own eyes. If I am honest with you, I worship at the altar of busyness. And if I'm really honest about it, comfort. So I was coming into my house the other day, and I noticed in our neighbor's yard that they have a sign. Their baby daughter was diagnosed with a pretty serious illness, and they were having a walk for her. And this was the first I was learning of it. So I came into the house, and I was a little upset and concerned, obviously. And I came to my husband, and I was like, oh, my goodness, did you see that sign? And he says, yeah, don't worry about it. I got it. I already went online and gave to their walk. And I was like, yes, that's awesome checked that box. I didn't pause. And that didn't make a mess of things, let's be honest. That was a nice thing to do. It was kind. But I didn't pause. And I didn't ask the Lord in my concern, in my, that emotion, ooh, sorry, in that emotion that I had, I didn't ask the Lord, Lord, what do you have for me? Would you have me volunteer? Would you have me walk with my neighbor? Would you have me press into that relationship more? And I'll never know exactly what he had for me in that. But I'm more committed to not worshiping at the altar of too busy to ask God what he has for me and also to do what I think is right in my own eyes. I am more committed to pausing and asking him what he has for me because I want to love him and love others. I want to listen and obey. And I already said that word. I want to shema. So like I said, the people, the Israelites, they make a little bit bigger of a mess of things than I did. And again, they end up in bondage to their enemies. But God, he doesn't leave them. Continually, you will see that pattern play out in Judges. First, it's other people groups who are a huge problem for the Israelites. The other gods trip them up. But eventually, they become their own worst enemies. They turn on each other. They lead each other astray. They literally become like the pagans who don't even know God. They, they stray and they get far away. But God, it might shock you. He doesn't throw his hands up and say, this is it, too much. I'm telling you, the things that the people do in this book, like I can't even with some of the things that they do. But God can. He doesn't leave us in our bondage or our messes either. He can with, with all of us. Maybe you struggle with an Old Testament God, the idea that there's this Old Testament and this New Testament God that he's somehow different or he was somehow harsh in the Old Testament and the New Testament God, he's different. I would encourage you in this reading plan to press in. The Old Testament actually tells us that God shows faithful love to a thousand generations to those who keep his commands. And he only punishes to the third and fourth generation. So I feel like that's pretty slanted toward love. We, I know I have often a mistaken thought that God is harsh or cruel. And when I come up against a story like that, someone in my small group, because we know the people in your life shape your life, so get in a small group. Someone in my small group has taught me to ask the question, 
What don't I know yet to help me understand this? When I see the character of God as anything but loving, I pause and I ask the question, what don't I understand or what don't I know yet that would help me see a fuller picture of God? Now, it'll tell us in Judges seven times that the people will stray from God. They will do evil in the sight of the Lord. That's a lot to forgive, but God. And I'm not putting myself in the same place as God. This just helps me understand him a little bit more. Um, I have permission from my son to tell you this story. He was speeding, and he got a speeding ticket, and he has to pay that ticket. I'm not paying that ticket for him, not because I'm harsh, but because that's the consequence of speeding. Now, if he doesn't learn and he gets another speeding ticket, he's going to pay that likely more harsh fine, but that is the consequence. He's also going to pay the increase in our insurance if that happens, not because I'm harsh, because that is the consequence of speeding. And because he was under 18 when he got his first ticket, um, he likely would have to go to court. Again, I can't stand and take that consequence for him. I will be with him, my husband and I. We will support him. We will not forsake him. But he will face that consequence. Just like the Israelites, when they chose false gods over and over, God gave them redo after redo. He didn't take his ball. He didn't go home. The Bible tells us God has infinite patience for those who are seeking after him. He doesn't forget his promise to us. Maybe you were taught that the book of Judges is about a sin cycle. I think that puts our eyes in the wrong place. It certainly is a book about sin, and it certainly does have a repetitive cycle. But God, Judges tells the story of the patience and love of a God who forgives time and time again. It's as if God has something for us to learn. He's willing to give us as many chances as it takes for us to learn that. Let's look at one more judge just for fun. <laughs> Maybe you've heard throughout the Old Testament there's foreshadowing to Jesus, the best judge of all, the one who will fulfill the covenant and will rescue his people. That's us. So in, when you learn about Samson, he, there's a lot of those. So look for those as you're reading. They're really fun. The first thing is that um, his, Samson's birth is foretold to his mom by an angel. And much like Mary in the New Testament, Samson's mom, whose name we actually don't even know because she's just an ordinary woman who knows God's plan, she says, yes, we will do it. We will be obedient. And they have Samson. And when we meet Samson, he's a little bit older, but really quickly we see he is not the same as Jesus. He is broken, and he doesn't really seem to be able to walk in wisdom or in self-control. And as a result of some of the things that Samson does when he's not being obedient to what God has called him to, a lot of innocent people get hurt. And this happens to Samson more than once. And one time he runs away to a mountain and to a cave. I can so relate to this. It actually reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden when they messed up and they tried to hide from God. I, when I mess up, if I hurt you, if I sin against God, I for sure want to retreat, to run away and to hide that. But God, he wants all of us. He wants you to bring that brokenness to him, and he still uses Samson, even in his brokenness. In Judges, it's like atrocity on top of atrocity. It's almost like a wholly unbiblical one-upping situation where someone's telling a story about how bad the people are, 
but God still came from them. And someone else is like, wait, wait, you think that's bad that people actually did this and God still came for them. There are 12 judges in the book that you'll read about. Some you learn a lot about and others not very much. But a lot of people agree that the number 12 in the Bible is a number of completeness or entirety. So what that tells me is every time the Israelites put their faith in, in, earth, in a human or in a false god and what they see in front of them, every time they forsake God, number one, they'll probably end up in a mess. But number two, every single time, God will come for them. He will not leave them. Twelve out of twelve times, God will come for them. As I was preparing for this message, I found this quote that I really, really like. It struck me. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. If we put our hope in earthly things, they will always disappoint God wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants us to love him, to choose him, to run to him with our struggles and not away. He wants us to trust him with all we have, to trust his plan, and to walk with him. But before I close, I have a few questions for us to think about and to reflect on. First is that God tells us in Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. So who in your life has the ability to speak truth over you, to challenge you, to help you see where maybe you might be following what seems right to you and not following God? Are you in a small group? Are they pointing you to truth? Another question is where are you following your own eyes, pursuing what you want and, or even being in charge, being your own God and not surrendering or listening to God? Are you open to God using you? Like Gideon, your ordinary skills. Or are you fighting God and saying, no, not me? Or maybe where are you coasting in your relationship with God? Because things seem all right right now. Or where are you running? Like Samson when he messed up. Where do you think to yourself, I will go to God when I get myself together? Friends, let me assure you that is not how it works. We cannot get ourselves together enough to come to God. Grace is a gift that God gives, and you can accept and stop running. So I want to challenge you. I want you to let God be the referee or the coach in the kickball game of your life. Follow his plan, not what you think is right in your own eyes. Get into his word so his word gets into you, so you know his heart for you and his plan for you. Allow God to use you for his purposes. Shema, or listen and obey. So let's grab our Connect cards because I do believe God has a next step for you. Those Connect cards Ali talked about at the beginning. Dig those back out. I believe if you're quiet and you listen, God will reveal to you what his next step is for you. You can write it on that card, and we will pray for you for the heart and for the strength to be obedient. Maybe today is the day you stop running from God. You say, God, all I have is yours, the good, the bad, the ugly. 
what I have cleaned up and what I don't. And if that's the first time that you've prayed that prayer, write that on your connect card for us. We would love to connect with you and to pray for you in that. But maybe you made that decision a long time ago, but you need to stop running again and recognize that God wants all of you, even the hard parts. He wants the parts that you even want to hold back. Or maybe your next step is about surrendering control and obedience and allowing God to be your God and not yourself or what you feel is right. That could look like anything from taking time to rest in the love of God, to getting into the Bible, to your prayer time, or serving someone with your time or your talent, practicing generosity, or investing in the faith of the next generation. You can write that in your card, and again, we will partner with you in prayer for your obedience. Maybe today's the day you invite someone into that role to speak truth to you, to help you see the places where you might be being a fool and doing what you think is right in your own eyes and not following God. Or you can simply come for prayer. We're gonna share communion in a time of prayer and worship. God is moving in this space. He is healing, he is breaking strongholds, he is redeeming, but he wants you to make yourself available. And one way we do that is by coming for prayer. Our prayer teams will be back here and over here on my right-hand side. They would be honored to pray with you. Maybe you don't know what your next step is. They'll listen with you for that. Maybe you wanna know if God is with you. Again, they can go to the Lord with that, or maybe they will go to the Lord with you for the thing that you would rather hide. Whatever it is, I would encourage you to seek prayer with our prayer teams. They would be honored to pray with you. Another way that you can get prayer is back here on our prayer wall. You can write your request on a tag, face it toward the wall if you want it to be private or face it out if you want all of us to pray over it. You can write it on your connect card. You can drop that in the offering when it passes by here in a couple minutes. If you're online or if you're in person, anytime during the week, you can email us your prayer request at prayer at blueashcc.com because the truth is we don't just need prayer on Sundays. So you can use that anytime. Let's go ahead and take up our offering. You can put your Connect card in that offering bucket as your offering of obedience. Also, this is where we practice generosity. The Lord has blessed our community through our generosity. It's just one way that we trust the Lord and we reflect back God's faithfulness to us. And then you can grab your communion cups. Hopefully you grabbed one of those on your way in by the, on the table over here. But if not, feel full freedom right now to go ahead to get up and grab that cup. We want to share in communion in the unity of what Jesus has done for us. We want to accept the gift of his grace in taking the wafer, which represents his body broken for us, and the juice, his blood poured out, which washes over all the places we don't feel that we are enough. Through him, through sharing in his sacrifice, we are made into enough. And then we want to meet God in prayer, however that looks, and we want to worship him. We want to worship him because he doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't take his ball and go home. He has made a way for us. He comes for us every time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are, for the truth that you will come for us, Lord that we can seek you, we can trust you, we can follow you. Father, I pray that you would move, that this time 
we would connect with you and you would have your way. Father, I pray you pour out your love on each person in this room in a way that only you can.